Some things shouldn't be transparent, like stop signs. But what you pay for should always be clear, like Hiller's true transparency pricing, always clearly itemized and never any hidden fees. Because you have the right to know what you're paying for. For more information, visit happyhiller.com slash true transparency pricing. Happy you'll be of the services free. Call the Happy Face Truck today. The Zone's non-stop sports talk continues with a look at Nashville's teams and at news around the nation from the lead writer of 1045thezone.com. This is the Big Six. The Big Six with Jason Martin. And here we go. Straight up, 6 o'clock by my watch means it's time for the one and only Big Six here on 104.5 The Zone. My name is Jason Martin. You can follow me on Twitter at jmartzone. Our telephone number is 615-737-1045, 737-1045. I don't know whether or not you're going to want to join me tonight in terms of on the phone because I'm going to take you on a little bit of a ride here in this first segment. Then in the second segment, I'm going to really kind of bring it to a topic that's hit today and we'll play some audio that I think you'll find interesting also. But I always tell you that I'm not going to waste your time on this program, that I'm going to do some things and I'm going to try to make you think and I'm going to try when I can to make you smarter and sometimes you're going to make me smarter and sometimes we're going to bring people on this show that are going to make us all smarter. But I'm also, in that same vein, not going to treat you like idiots. I'm not going to speak down to you. I believe that you guys can grasp anything that I can bring to you, anything anybody can bring to you. But I'm going to define a couple of things tonight just in case it's something you might not have heard before. So I'm just going to tell you that up front because this is sort of a unique structure to tonight's show. I could get on here and I could rate some things or I could do this or I could do that or I could talk about last night's World Series game one. Honestly, if I'm being, you know, just totally truthful here, which I try to do at all times on this show, it's, it's funny actually when people say honestly, you don't ever stop to think about this. Somebody pointed this out to me uh, about a month ago. When you say honestly, have you ever stopped and thought, wait, so now you're being, so what have we been lying pretty much every point until you said honestly? So you have to be careful when you use that. I know I need to be careful, but generally speaking, I don't really care about the World Series. I'm going to watch some of it, but I don't care. I'm a Braves fan, and I don't usually sit down ever and watch nine innings of Braves baseball. Not anymore. It's just not something that, that moves the needle for me. I don't think sitting here and talking about the World Series, even if I watched every baseball game this season, would be something that this show needs to do. So what I'm going to talk to you tonight about is social psychology and probability and statistics and common sense. I don't know when the last time you heard sports radio talk incorporate the theory of Occam's razor, but whatever your answer to my question, whenever the last time you heard that, it now becomes this day. Occam's razor is a long-time old theory about problem-solving. It's a line of reasoning that posits basically for any occurrence, 
given multiple explanations, the simplest one is usually correct. Another way to say it would be something happens. There are a few theories of how it happened. The one that requires the least speculation is usually going to be right. So I'm sitting around thinking about a few different things happening in sports, both past and present. And I'm coming to believe that applying Occam's razor, or at least the basic concept surrounding it, it may not be a perfect analogy, but imperfect enough, but close enough where it still makes sense. But if you were to apply Occam's razor, or if the people in sports applied Occam's razor more often to this escapist entertainment that we love and that I'm blessed enough to make my living talking about behind this microphone, it would keep a lot of people out of hot water, a lot more people out of hot water. It might save some jobs, and it might make people some money in sports. Today's it guy in the NFL is Sean McVay. He's young, he's innovative, he's aggressive, he's incredibly driven. People love playing for him. But when you hear him, or if you hear anybody around him talk about his offense with the Rams, which basically nobody has been able to solve yet, what becomes clear is that what they run there is just a couple of different formations. They don't run 9,000 different formations. It's all about confusing the defense, making something look one way when it's actually going to be something completely different. It's about confusing the defense, but being incredibly straightforward for the guys in the Rams uniforms. They show a limited number of looks, but there are tweaks, minor tweaks involved that can turn any one formation into a multitude of possible options. It's really easy to pick up for the Rams players, and it's infuriating for the defenses, leading to things like Anthony Barr getting matched up on wide receivers on not one, not two, but three touchdowns in that Vikings-Rams Thursday night football game that happened last month. On Sunday in London, I continued to believe that going for two was the wrong call for the Tennessee Titans. I wasn't irate over it, but I thought it was an unnecessary risk. And the reason why, and I've laid this out, I laid it out when I was in for the midday 180. I've laid it out, I think, maybe a little bit this morning on the wake-up zone, certainly on Monday night Titans, also on OutKick on Monday. Considering to me that the Titans are moving the football against them, in the second half, the secondary's playing pretty well. And the Chargers clearly had no ability to run it without Melvin Gordon in the lineup. I would have given them a chance outside of the all or nothing, push your chips to the center of the table move. But okay, Mike Vrabel's an aggressive coach. I think he got it wrong. We can agree to disagree there. But when we get to the play call itself, the choice to throw a slant to the back of the end zone through traffic to an inconsistent small wide receiver, that's where we can get to Occam's razor. And it's not just Matt LaFleur. Bill Belichick might tell you, yeah, maybe Daryl Bevel and Pete Carroll as well. And I won a Super Bowl because those two guys chose to think a little bit too hard and not just hand Marshawn Lynch the football in the Super Bowl. That Seahawks dynasty never really materialized past the one Lombardi trophy would have been multiples had it not been for Bevel, Carroll, and, yes, Malcolm Butler. What would thinking of the essence of Occam's Razor have told you about that Super Bowl situation if you were on the sidelines and you applied Occam's Razor to it? Again, given multiple explanations, multiple theories, the simplest one proves true far more often than not. 
If you were applying Occam's razor to the Super Bowl, what would you do? You would run the football. If you don't look at all the percentages on Sunday in London, what's the simplest decision to make? It's to kick the field goal. It's to tie the football game. It's to give your team more than the all-or-nothing roulette wheel, one play or bust to get the job done. If you go for two, what would Occam have told you to do based on Titans personnel and every single piece of information we have about this team, where its strengths and weaknesses are, plus the eye tests? It would be to get Marcus Mariota on the edge, or it would be to try the quarterback sneak, even with backup guards in front of you, or to hand it to Derrick Henry and think that he can get you one yard. The Milwaukee Brewers might actually be in a World Series right now had it not been for Craig Council and his old pitching moves. At least I'm putting that theory out there. They were unique. They were thought-provoking. But they didn't exactly work, did they? They still lost. But you know why they really lost? It wasn't because of all the pitching craziness. Occam's Razor. They lost because they didn't score enough runs. Because they could not hit when they needed to. I cannot make it more simple than that. When they had to, Milwaukee could not score runs. If you don't score runs, you lose baseball games. Here, Occam's doesn't even matter unless you're looking at pitching gimmickry and substitutions versus struggles at the plate. Here's another one for you. NBA season just started. College basketball, certainly in the news today. Dan Wetzel was fantastic on 3HL a little bit earlier on today. Three points. You know what three points is, folks? It's more than two points. If you want to win championships in college basketball or in the NBA these years or these days, you shoot a bunch of threes. Now, you may not have to shoot the most, but you have to shoot a lot. Look at both current reigning champs in basketball. Villanova shot threes constantly. The Warriors did not shoot as many as people thought, but they still took a lot. It's simple, and that's the key word here, simple. If you make 10 threes, that's 30 points. If you make 10 inside the three-point line, it's 20. I'm up 10 on you at that point. If it's 15 of each, I'm up 15 on you. 20, I'm up 20. 25, I think you see how this works. It does not take a math degree to figure it out. If it did, I would certainly not be talking about it. Why is Jeremy Pruitt going on sides here? Why is he doing this against Alabama? Multiple potential theories here. He's either just wanting to show he's aggressive. He's completely insane. Or he knows he has absolutely nothing to lose against whatever classification is higher than juggernaut, which is where Alabama currently sits in college football. The simplest answer is the last one. He had nothing to lose against Alabama, except a football game he had no hope of winning anyway. So, why the heck not? And because of that, his rationale was proven correct. I didn't think the Titans were in a nothing-to-lose-why-the-heck-not situation in London on Sunday. Therefore, that's where I got to where I got about Vrabel's rationale being incorrect in that moment. Folks, everybody wants to be perceived as the smartest man or woman ever in sports. It's this unbelievable scheme or it's this just unique 
No one's ever seen its strategy or it's Phil Jackson being the Zen master and managing personalities like no one else could through subtle manipulation. A lot of people in athletics come up with convoluted, complicated systems in order to appear to be smarter than they are, appear to be super brilliant when they're not. An example in the real world will be the financial sector. The financial world, investment banks, stock magnates, hedge fund owners, these folks are notorious for using highfalutin, obscure language to give off the impression that only they can understand the markets and do the job that they do. And it's completely untrue. If you've seen The Big Short or if you've read Michael Lewis's book, you realize that that's not true. If you appear to be rare in this society, it can prove lucrative and you're also useful. So that's just something to keep in mind as we move to the second part of this discussion after the break with another topic involved, plus what we've already talked about with Occam's Razor. There is another Occam's Razor-ish thing going on right now in sports, and it goes beyond the field. Ohio State lost to Purdue on Saturday. It's another one of these strange losses for the Buckeyes where they usually find a way to get boat raced by an inferior team once a year. But this entire Urban Meyer saga has many, many theories. One of them is simple. I believe Occam's Razor is going to prove to be right on this. We're going to apply that theory to it next. We're going to bring another concept in. And we're going to play some fascinating audio that maybe you have not heard that was played earlier this afternoon here where Paul Feinbaum spoke on ESPN about the Urban Meyer situation, which has been an unmitigated disaster for him, for his family, for Columbus, for everybody involved in that situation. So we've set the stage and we will move on to talk about Urban Meyer next. Our telephone number is 615-737-1045. We'll be right back. It's a big six here on 104.5 The Zone. Back in Big Six here on 104.5 The Zone. Thanks for making me a part of your evening. I'm Jason Martin. I'm on Twitter at jmartzone. Ryan Mudd, my good buddy behind the glass, spinning the dials radio style for me tonight. Doing a great job as always. 615-737-1045 if you happen to want to join this program this evening. At jmartzone if you'd like to follow me on Twitter. So we were talking about Occam's Razor. Occam's Razor is a theory that you may have heard or may have not heard. But the short version, basically, again, is something happens. There are multiple potential explanations for what happened. With those multiple options, the simplest one is usually correct. Another good one would be LeBron James went to Los Angeles to play for the Lakers, why did he go to play for the Lakers? Did he go to win a championship, or did he go to do a bunch of stuff outside of basketball? I would say the second answer makes more sense from a linear perspective, 
and because it's a much simpler answer. If he wanted to win more championships, there are far better places he could have gone to try and get that done faster. That's another example of it that's happening right now in sports. But the one that I kind of went to was the Titans going for two. The simple decision would have been to go for one and play in overtime in that situation. They did not do that. Simple has become kind of a dirty word, it seems like, in sports and maybe in society. And I'm not sure why that changed. But if you look at life in general, if you look at society in general, it's all about complicated. Or it was. You look at technology, you look at all these advances and all these kinds of things. At first, it was all about complications and all these buttons and you know things that you would be afraid for your parents or your grandparents to have to deal with because they probably couldn't program a remote or whatever it might be. And now you look at phones in your hand. Maybe some of you listening to me right now on the 104.5 The Zone app, and thank you for doing so, by the way. Or maybe you're listening to this not live. Maybe you're listening to me via podcast, which you can subscribe to all the zone podcasts. You can also subscribe to mine by looking up the big six with Jason Martin, subscribing, getting the full archive through Apple or wherever it is that you get your podcasts. But if you're looking at your phone, there's a good chance you're looking at a phone that has no actual buttons on it. It's just a simple screen. It's a touch screen. Simplified. I start to type a word and my phone immediately helps me out. What's the rage right now? The newest iPhone, the largest one, the XS Max, the Tennis Max, I think is how you're supposed to pronounce it. I actually have it in my hand. I upgrade every two years and this was my year, so I upgraded to it. I went with the big one. It's better for my eyes and it's better with what I do to be able to scroll through things, perhaps when I'm on the air, in addition to what's going on with the laptop. But what are people now starting to request? If you actually look, they are trying to get back to smaller phones. Things work cyclically. Simple to complex. Back to simple. So we went through a couple of examples in sports. A new example, or not a new example, but one that we have not really talked about yet. Before I talk about it, let's hear... This came from outside the lines. Kate Fagan was talking with Paul Feinbaum about what has been happening with Urban Meyer and Ohio State. I'm hearing a lot of whispers that this will be Urban Meyer's final season in Columbus. And you go back to August with the controversy over Zach Smith. You you talked about Gene Smith, the the tension between them. You saw it at that press conference. Uh, You you also know by now, as as everyone, that a member of the Board of Trustees wanted more severe punishment and ended up resigning. That was before the season started. And of course, Urban missed the first couple of games. And since he's been back, uh, Ohio State had won until Saturday night, coming from behind to beat Penn State. But they have not looked good. Uh, Urban Meyer's demeanor on the sidelines has been curious. He has complained several times of headaches. And having covered Urban Meyer at the University of Florida, Kate, this looks like a rerun. It looks like deja vu. Uh, Urban Meyer walked away down there when the pressure got too much, and I believe he'll do the same thing at the end of the season here. How much of where Ohio State is at right now is a result of the Zach Smith scandal that we talked about and the three-game suspension for Urban Meyer versus whatever problems already existed between Urban Meyer and Ohio State? 
I think I think you you have to point to that. Uh, there was such a disconnect on that campus, and, and and I know and you know very well that fans stood up blindly, loyal to Urban Meyer, and so did the football players. But you know, even if you're a young person on that team, you had to be disgusted by what you read, by what you heard, the fact that Urban Meyer covered up for someone like Zach Smith. And, and I think there was a trickle down. And it's interesting that the team seemed to be reacting better when Urban. Urban Meyer was not part of the team uh, as opposed to when he came back. And he just looks lost to me on the sideline. Uh, he looks disconnected, disjointed. And we're talking about one of the best coaches in modern college football history. Uh, and it's sad to watch, but in many ways, uh, he probably should have been let go at the time. Uh, why? Ohio State sold its soul to let him come back. I'm, I'm not sure. Well, I, yes, I am sure because it's all, it's all about winning. It was all about trying to get a national championship that I don't think they're going to get right now. Do you think that disconnection comes from Urban Meyer believing that he shouldn't have even gotten the three-game suspension and being frustrated by that? Uh, absolutely, Kate. Uh, I, that was so easy to read on his face that day. And, and listen, he's tried to clean it up several times with, with statements that he ended up uh, deleting and, and apologizing for again. And, and, and ultimately, a month ago, the sit-down with Tom Rinaldi revealed Urban Meyer's character, that he can't deal with the reality of someone telling him what to do. In that interview, uh, he still couldn't deal with with Courtney Smith. Uh, he, he did not want to acknowledge that, that he had been wrong and she had been abused. Uh, he, he didn't know how to say, I'm sorry. He's got some problems, and, and I think that's manifesting itself now on the football field. And, yeah, look, I don't want to be a pop psychiatrist here but it, but it does seem like like he is in a bubble and he is disconnected from not only his coaching staff but from his team and the results have been pretty bad uh, and I say pretty bad they've lost one game but this is yeah. now the fourth time in recent years that Urban Meyer has been blown out uh, great coaches don't get blown out by 29 or, or 31 points like he did last year against Iowa this whole thing has been a disaster from the get-go, a tire fire that started around a hundred flaming dumpsters. Apologies to Buckeye fans, but Urban Meyer should have been fired. The investigative committee was a sham. It is absolutely impossible for me to hold enough disbelief in my mind or in my heart. The cognitive dissonance required is simply far too great to believe that he didn't know everything that was going on with Zach Smith. Or just about everything. And Zach Smith continues to lie via social media and just keeps digging a deeper hole each time he tweets or continues to vaguely attack Brett McMurphy as being some kind of phony reporter. Yesterday, he tried to say that Courtney did not file a protective order that he did and all this other nonsense. Today, her counsel basically proved that wasn't true, put out a document to show so and also revealed, yes, indeed, he did plead guilty to a misdemeanor, a misdemeanor crime associated with all of this as part of this protective order that came out. Now, I told you about Occam's Razor. Given multiple explanations, the simplest one is usually right. I just mentioned another term, cognitive dissonance. Again, I tend to believe my audience has probably heard this before and might know this, but just to be sure, Cognitive dissonance, at least the dumbed-down version of it, which is better for me as well. It's basically finding a way to rationalize conflicting behaviors. It's making yourself believe the unbelievable. 
It's making yourself dismiss what's true or finding a way to change one of the behaviors to recover the mental balance because of the conflict involved. Here's an example. You smoke cigarettes. Okay. You also know for a fact that they enhance your risk of cancer exponentially. Smoking is the behavior. Knowledge of the risks involved is the cognition. That's the mental process. Those two things don't match. They don't jibe. So you have to suspend your belief or you have to alter the behavior. Or you have to say that the risk is really not that big a deal anyway because it's going to be the years at the end that you don't want to be alive anyway. It's got to be something like that. Losing yourself in a movie or a television show, and I mean truly losing yourself, believing in what you're seeing on the screen, requires cognitive dissonance. Reading a book and being able to actually visualize what's happening on those pages, and even if it's for five or ten seconds, losing yourself to the extent that the wall between reality and fiction is gone and you're able to fully be a part of that story. It requires some level of cognitive dissonance. Urban Meyer is in a world of cognitive dissonance. We have to be in order to believe that what he's doing is valid in any way. But there are simple explanations and complicated explanations that have been thrown out about this Urban Meyer situation. And when we come back on the other side, we will apply Occam's razor to Urban Meyer. This is a big six on 104.5 The Zone. Welcome back. It's the Big Six here on 104.5 The Zone. Jeff Buckley passed away quite some time ago. This song endures. Last Goodbye. The album is called Grace. It's a classic. Worth checking out if you've never heard it before. I'm Jason Martin. If you have never heard me before, I'm on Twitter at jmartzone, 615-737-1045. Been talking about some interesting things tonight. Occam's Razor. And also cognitive dissonance in that last segment as we began speaking about Urban Meyer. Occam's Razor, it's a pretty simple theory. And certainly you can find examples where it's not true. But generally speaking, what it posits is, given multiple explanations for some happening, the simplest one is usually right. The one that requires the least amount of conjecture or speculation. I looked up during the break a couple of other examples for you, and one that kind of stood out that I thought was pretty good. A student fails a, fails a test. The possible explanations there are two. One, the student needed to study harder. Two, the professor changed the student's answers on the test because he does not like the student. In that situation, number one is more likely. And in general, is almost always going to be proven to be true. And so we talked about how simple has gone out of vogue in sports, except that it hasn't. Because a lot of the things and a lot of the people that you are seeing win now, a lot of the teams that you're seeing win, employ what seem to be pretty simple, basic concepts. Sean McVay's offense looks complicated, but isn't. It's actually simple. The Golden State Warriors shoot a lot of threes. Therefore, they're going to win a lot of games against teams that don't shoot a lot of threes. Because if I take the same number of threes as you take twos, I'm going to be ahead of you by that very number. 
I take 10 more three, if I take 10 threes, you take 10 twos, I'm going to be ahead of you by 10 points if we make all of them. 20, it'll be 20, 30, it'll be 30, and so on and so forth. But when it comes down to Urban Meyer, cognitive dissonance, which is the other thing we've been talking about, which is basically two things that are in conflict inside your mind, one being a behavior and one thing that you know is true, to get your balance back because it makes you uncomfortable and it can cause instability inside your brain, you either have to alter one of the behaviors or you have to dismiss what you know is true or find a way to explain it away. One example that I read about when I was looking at social psychology journals a little bit earlier, just to try and contextualize this for you, is a cult. A cult that believes that the world is going to end. And so they, let's say they starve themselves for four days. The world does not come to an end. Rather than look at it from the perspective, okay, we were wrong, the world did not come to an end, they then say the reason the world did not come to an end is because we starved ourselves for four days. We saved the world. That way, what they believed originally is still true and they don't have to admit their fallacy. So what is more likely as it pertains to Urban Meyer? Looking at Occam's razor. Urban Meyer didn't know anything. Shelly, his wife, did. Never told him anything. He did everything that he should have done. And he's basically morally in the clear. Or he knew. He recognized the risks. But his cognitive dissonance, because he was addicted to winning, which is the nicotine of this story, the caffeine of this story, the sugar of this story, enabled him to kind of throw the risks to the decide to keep to the side to keep up that behavior. And now, as we're seeing, well, it was described as friction. Urban Meyer said it's urgency, but there are reports of trouble between Urban Meyer and Gene Smith, and it certainly sounds like he could be out in Columbus. So what's the simplest reason if you had multiple theories here as to why he seems to be an emotional wreck on the sidelines these days? Why he's acting out, snapping on players, not paying attention to other things that are happening that seem to be more pressing, like special teams concerns. Applying Occam's razor again, the simplest explanation, given multiple options, is usually correct. I'm going to go ahead and break this down for you. He is an emotional wreck because there is probably more out there that he's afraid is going to come out. He is an emotional wreck because whether it's friction, whether it's urgency, or whether it's some other descriptor, he knows his days in Columbus are numbered. He's an emotional wreck because the weight of defending Zach Smith for such a long time has broken his back. He is a wreck because he literally wrecked the figurative Bentley that he was driving in his chosen profession and he sees it slipping away and he knows because the problem with cognitive dissonance is eventually that balance has to be restored somehow. He knows 
that he did this to himself. And it's eating him alive. The other side of that coin is he's gone so far in the opposite direction that he truly believes he did nothing wrong. That he truly believes everyone's out to get him. That he believes it's a witch hunt. That he believes every Buckeye fan with 15 Twitter followers and a Brutus Buckeye avatar that treats him like he's some kind of king or some kind of deity or some kind of demagogue. And he's bought into that reality that we all know is fantasy because we're outside of it. It's always easy to give other people advice. You ever notice that? It is super easy to see what your friends are going through and have seemingly the right answers for them. And they'll thank you for it. They'll be like, oh, man, it's so good. Same situation's happening in your own life and you can't fix it. I can help other people a lot easier than I can help myself because you don't want to see it within yourself. And I think Urban Meyer has lived a lie for such a long time, dating back to Florida and how he left there to his time at Ohio State. That unfortunately, the lie has become true in his own mind. No one else's, but in his own mind. And his narcissism has taken over. And all of that is leading to the downfall that we're currently seeing in Columbus, Ohio. And it's a downfall that is speedier maybe than some expected. And it's a downfall where I tend to believe what Feinbaum has said, and I've said similar things as well. I think this is probably his final season in Columbus. I think he knows it. I think Gene Smith knows it. I think his family knows it. And I think Urban Meyer's wondering who in the world's going to hire him after this, especially if there's any more that comes out. And that's a question I want the answer to as well. We got one more segment on the other side. I will give you the bet online odds that came out earlier today as to who will be the Ohio State football coach in 2019. And then we're going to talk about the NFL broadcast booth that we're going to see on Sunday morning in their London game between the Eagles and Jaguars. And I'm just going to ask why. All that's next. Big Six, 104.5 The Zone. Are you... Final segment Wednesday edition, Big Six, 104.5 The Zone. You can follow me on Twitter at jmartzone, 615-737-1045. Anytime you want to join this radio station on air. Thanks for uh, tuning in tonight. Little Sturgill Simpson bringing us back. I actually saw him, didn't expect to see him. A couple of weeks ago at the Ryman seeing John Prine, and all of a sudden, who walks out on stage as a special guest for five songs? Sturgill Simpson. That was a pretty good night, pretty good last-second decision to make that trip and go see that show. So we've been talking a little bit about Urban Meyer, and we've been talking about some other concepts. If you missed this show, or if you just need to go back and hear it again, download the podcast. Go to 1045thezone.com slash big6, and you will get all the podcasts there if you'd like, or you can subscribe, and it will just deliver an update to you every single night we do this show, including Monday Night Titans on Mondays. I'm having such a blast, blessed, and privileged to be with two incredible pros in Jim Wyatt of TitansOnline.com 
as well as Mark Mariani, who you know very well, and you'll hear right here on Friday on 3HL. We're having a great time with that show, to be sure. So Urban Meyer, I've said his days in Columbus are numbered. I'm not the first. I won't be the last. He should have been fired originally. Bet Online put out some odds earlier today as to who will be the Ohio co- the Ohio State coach next season. Urban is plus one twenty five, so he's still in the lead, but that's not like fantastic. Matt Campbell is one fifty, plus one fifty, and then comes a long list: Ryan Day, Bob Stoops, and a guy who beat Urban Meyer on Saturday, Jeff Brom, were all three at ten to one. Northwestern's Pat Fitzgerald currently twelve to one. Brian Kelly of Notre Dame and Mike Gundy of Oklahoma State at 16 to 1. Dino Babers, who's doing great work at Syracuse. And Lane Kiffin at 18 to 1. Tom Herman, who of course was tied to Zach Smith in a in a different bit of that story that came out later on. He's 20 to 1, along with somebody else that you might find interesting. Uh, that man's name would be Mike Vrabel, who's also 20 to 1 right now. Jim Harbaugh is 40 to 1. Bill Belichick is 51 to 50 to 1. Now, most of those are not going to happen, obviously. But the idea that Urban Meyer is coaching his final stretch of games for Ohio State seems to be, at least in my opinion, more likely by the day. And again, if you look at just, if you just pay attention to how he appears on the sideline, the interviews or the interview that he did with Tom Rinaldi the way that he's tried to clarify the clarification of the clarification of the clarification and everything that Zach Smith says. I can't say I feel sorry for Urban Meyer because he put himself into this situation. But I certainly, I feel for him in some ways. Just because I can't even imagine what it's like to have the weight of all that deceit. On me. He's had to keep up lie after lie after lie. And he's had to try to find a way to prop it up when the leg of the chair goes out from underneath him. And he's had to lie on top of a second lie just to try and make the first one seem legitimate. There's just a lot. And I'm sure it's put a strain on his personal life. He had to throw his wife under the bus at one point. Like I said, I don't feel sorry for him. but I can understand why we're seeing what we're seeing right now. And this is why I think you should have let him go because one of the arguments that I made about why you should fire him is because how is he going to be able to do his job after the fact? They've got a lot of talent there, so they're still winning games. Penn State probably should have beaten them. That was a nice comeback. And then they got boat raced by Jeff Brom. I've said before, Jeff Brom is a brilliant offensive mind. There's a reason why his name is now at the top of the list for Auburn if Gus Malzahn is gone. USC, if Clay Helton is gone, certainly Louisville, the the article in the Louisville Courier Journal that came out yesterday that basically said, look, Louisville's got to make sure they have Brom pretty much signed, sealed, and delivered before they let Bobby Petrino go. Petrino has a $14 million buyout. He also has two wins this year. And I think we're seeing how much Lamar Jackson meant to that program. Because in his absence, Louisville has been atrocious. They are not a good football team at all. Jeff Brom's only problem is that Nick Holt continues to be his defensive coordinator. First in Bowling Green at Western, and now at Purdue. 
And even though he was good for USC in his role out there in the past, Nick Holt's defenses haven't been able to stop anybody this decade. So once he unmarries himself from that, I would like to see what he can do with a real defensive coordinator when you mix it with that kind of offense. Like you think about Sean McVay and what he's doing with the Rams. Let's not forget he's got Wade Phillips, one of the great defensive coordinators of all time on the other side. Now his defense is middle of the pack right now, which is interesting, but it's real hard to have a great defense in this kind of NFL. And I'm still curious to see where they are by the end of the season because they have all sorts of talent, starting with Aaron Donald, and then they have a lot outside of that. But if you give Jeff Brom a defense, I want to see what that guy could do. So we will see you know, how that ends up going. Let me tell you how something else is going to end up going. And that is the broadcast team that's been put together for Jaguars-Eagles, which is the final London game, which is this Sunday morning. It's kind of a big game. Like, the Jaguars have fallen apart, yes. But that defense is still, of course, worth paying attention to. They are still a team that you think might be able to make the playoffs. Maybe they could go get Teddy Bridgewater from the Saints or find some move before the trade deadline. They need to. They needed to address it already. And the Eagles are the Eagles. Their defense, their secondary is atrocious, but Carson Wentz is still very good. And you expect that they're going to be in the mix at the very least at the end of the season. This is a very important football game. The loser might be on the way down. This could be a loser leaves town match. It could be. But this is a good matchup. And if you looked at it on paper two, three weeks ago, especially, or maybe at the beginning of the season, said, wow, they're playing in London? That could have been the biggest game of the day if you were prognosticating at the beginning of the year based on what you thought these two teams would be at this stage of the season. And broadcast teams get a lot of flack. Monday Night Football is not good. Jason Witten, it just has not worked out. Booger McFarland's on a crane blocking guys that have great seats. Joe Tessitore still sounds like he should be calling a Mac game on Wednesday night. It's just not a very good broadcast at all. There's ads sprinkled all over it. It's just bad. But let me let me give you the rundown of what you're going to hear on Sunday morning if you tune into this game that you might actually care about. You are going to hear Rich Eisen, Michael Irvin, Kurt Warner, and Steve Mariucci in a four-man broadcast booth. The host of NFL Game Day Morning. Steve Mariucci is not good on television. Kurt Warner is pretty milk toast. Super guy. You love him to death. He's never done anything for me. Michael Irvin is Michael Irvin. And Rich Eisen is going to probably throw way too many jokes in, and it's going to be pretty bland. And you got four people in the booth. Four. Three is usually too many in most cases. It's got to be a really good booth for it to be three. I don't know that many people needed Bruce Arians in London, for example. Maybe I'm wrong. But let me tell you what. That four-man booth sounds like a disaster for a game that I'm interested in watching. So I might be watching that thing on mute and listening to a podcast, like catching up on something, because that sounds like an absolute disaster. We're going to make you smarter on the way out the door before we send you to Volkos.
The aforementioned Eagles lost to the Carolina Panthers and blew a 17-point lead in the fourth quarter. They are the 17th home team to blow a 17-point lead or more in the fourth quarter in NFL history. The Eagles have done it three of those 17 times. The last time it was done, though, the Eagles did it to a team. They did it to the New York Giants. You know the last time it was done? Maybe you didn't take note that 17 at home was a big-time lead to blow. They beat the Giants 35-31. to Michael Vick was the quarterback in that game. 2010. That's the biggest home comeback for a road team in eight years. We'll see you. Ball calls next.